What is the pattern of forgiveness? Good morning, and thank you for being with us once again. Before getting into our study this morning on forgiveness, we want to make some uh, information available on the changes of times of services at the Ben Church of Christ. Bible class now starts at 930. Worship service, which typically is a less formal lesson or sermon, starts at 1015. We observe the Lord's Supper at 1115. Worship with a more formal lesson, if you will, begins at 1130. There are no Sunday evening services. The power of forgiveness is crucial in our relationship with our God. And there are several words that we use to describe what sin is and words that we use in other senses. Sin is transgression of God's law. We cross a line, a boundary that has been established. We can either commit some act or we can omit some act, commission or omission. Trespass is an interesting term. There are boundaries that we're told we cannot cross, and when we cross that line, we trespass. We go beyond that which we have been instructed. Sin is missing the mark, committing or omitting. It damages the relationship with our God, missing the mark like basketball at a rim, a bat and a ball, an arrow at a bullseye. There is a mark, and we miss it. Transgression, trespass, missing the mark, sin. The image that the prophet Isaiah shares is that sin separates us from our God. Isaiah 59 and 2, your iniquities, there's another word, have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. In the New Testament, in the book of Romans, in chapter 1, we read that God can give up or turns us over when we sin and when we continue in sin. And the Hebrew writer says that if we sin willfully, there no longer remains a sacrifice, as there has already been a sacrifice. Remember what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit? Remember they tried to hide from God? God cast them out of the garden where they would experience pain, suffering, work, toil, and sweat, and death. That relationship changed. We can even completely remove ourselves from the light of the gospel to convince ourselves that we have not sinned. And 1 John tells us that if we say that we have no sins, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But then we read something interesting in verse 9. If, if is a conditional word, the following will be accomplished if we meet the stated conditions. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the truth, the word, is not in us. So on one side, we have sin, transgression, trespass, missing the mark. And then on the other side, we have a concept dealing with sin called forgiveness. Thayer's Greek lexicon defines this as saying it means to send away, to give up, to keep no longer. When we read this phrase to send away, I'm reminded of the scapegoat that was used on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. This was the one time of year where the high priest would go into the holiest of holies and meet God. 
That's where the Ark of the Covenant was as part of the tabernacle. Read in the book of Leviticus chapter 16, down in verse number 22, after it talks about this goat, basically the high priest would bear all of the iniquities, would place his hands on the goat, bear all of the iniquities unto a land that unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat go in the wilderness. It was a scapegoat. So the sins were symbolically, if you will, placed on this goat, and the goat was run out of the camp and chased off into the wilderness. And this is the imagery to remove. But of interest, the word forgiveness is not used. But in this instance where there was sin and it was placed on the back of a goat sent into the wilderness, it was gone from their sight, perhaps, but it still existed. So under the new law, we have this concept that takes this imagery, but it goes well beyond that. And this concept of forgiveness, it's one of those things that is rather difficult for us to comprehend because it has been removed as though it never existed. Not wandering in the wilderness, but an undoing. It never happened. Erased. No signs that it ever existed no longer held against us. The debt is paid. Where we were lacking, it has been filled. How much of an impact should that have on us of the love that God has for man? Because we read in the Romans chapter 5, God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, perhaps ignoring him, perhaps turning our back on him, perhaps celebrating in the sin that we were living in, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So is there a process of obtaining this forgiveness? Well, the process of forgiveness depends on where we are in our relationship with God. The question we would need to answer is, are we a child of God? If we're not a child, that means we're not in the family. And the relationship that we have with him is different, just as a father and a family in our lives today. We have responsibility toward everyone, yes, but our responsibilities for our family, our children, is certainly different. And these are the terms that are used in helping us understand our varying relationships with God. God's grace was extended to all of mankind beyond what he did under the old law. But God, Ephesians 2, verse number 4, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sins, hath quickened, made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 and 17. And if children, heirs, heirs of God, and listen to what it says, joint heirs with his son, Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. References are that we are sons of God, verse 14. We are children of God, verse number 16. We're not born into this world, a child of God, we must meet those conditions that God has set forward in order for us to be adopted into his family. 
In him we have redemption, Ephesians 1 and 7. That is our deliverance and salvation, says the Amplified Version. Through his blood, which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon. There's another word. The complete pardon of our sin in accordance with the riches of his grace. In John chapter 1, he came into his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Power to become sons of God. The Hebrew writer tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith, yes, and power to become. James tells us when it comes to faith that the devils also have faith and they trembled. So it's not faith alone, it's faith and when it comes to our conversion, when it comes to us being a sinner and converting to becoming a child of God. There are examples that we can read when looking through the actions of the apostles in the Acts as we read in the New Testament, those that accepted and exercised the power to become. When the question was asked in Acts chapter 2, it was plainly spoken that they had committed an egregious error in crucifying a man, and that man was the Son of God. Men and brethren, what shall we do? And the answer was told to them what they should do. When Saul was struck with blindness and told to go into the city and he would be told words whereby he might be saved, what were those words? The eunuch from Ethiopia reading from the prophet Isaiah in Acts chapter 8, what must I do? What was he told? The Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, what was he told? The same thing, all of those accounts were told. We read to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. And like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, a new life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should no longer serve sin. The imagery here is a funeral, that the old man of sin has died, and it is his process for completely burying your former life with all of its cares, all of its troubles, all of its problems, and becoming born again into a new life through burial in water. And when you come out of that water, you have a new life as a follower of Christ. In these instances, they were told very specifically that baptism would remove their sin. And interestingly enough, this act of baptism cleanses, removes one's sin, and the same act that adds us to the congregation of the believers, Acts chapter 2. It is referred to as the process of being born again in John chapter 3 and also in Titus chapter 3. This process of cleansing puts us into a different relationship with our God. As a child, as a child, 
we then have an avenue to our Father. As a child, we have God now as the Creator, yes, but also as our Father. Baptism is a command. It is an act we exercise one time where we are converted from a sinner to a child of God, a Christian. And with that change comes a change in the relationship and a change in the blessings that we have as a child of God. And prayer is the avenue afterwards that we can access forgiveness through our Father. If we want God to forgive, that is to forget it ever happened, we would need to cease. We would need to repent. Otherwise, as 2 Peter 2 tells us, it's just like a pig wallowing in the mire. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, which is Acts chapter 2. What took place there? So God's law of pardon, God's law of forgiveness, reconciliation, another word, repent of our sins, believe in his son, and enter into a new relationship with him through baptism, which now is a command and which now also forgives. What a blessing we have. Grace, God sending his only begotten son on the backdrop of the cleanliness of the Old Testament, the imagery of the scapegoat bearing the sins of the people, giving us a simple process where we can bridge the gap of sin that connects him, connects between us and him. That gap is there and it can be bridged through his grace and our obedience to what it is that he has asked us to do. The process for which we can be cleansed is through baptism, that same process that puts us in that unique relationship whereby we can call him our father. And the sins that we have committed that lead to death, that separate us, are removed from our life as though they never happened. And following that same example in our lives among one another and forgiving one another, the prophet Isaiah said in 1 and 18 as we close, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The power of the forgiveness of God. Our time is gone. We thank you very much for joining us. We look forward to visiting with you next week at this time. Until then, we bid you a very blessed day.